You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Flipping Tables, episode 114. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm Michael Edwards. And I think we have to do a little bit of Mitomo follow-up. We have a little bit of follow-up, but I think we, we got to give Mitomo a quick mention. Mm-hmm. Is it still the most important thing in your life? No. <laughs> I actually kind of dread... I have the I have badges still turned on for it, and it's always got like three or four notifications waiting and i'm like but when i tap that thing it's got to load for like 10 seconds and then i gotta like dig through the like i'm starting to dread opening the app even though i like the playfulness and the voices and the jokes and stuff yeah i'm i'm in a similar play i feel like it, it loads pretty fast but uh something i've noticed is that it it doesn't load fast enough that they feel like they can get away without a loading screen. Um, but sometimes the loading screens are only up for like a half an instant, which can in itself be creepy because <laughs> the loading screens are animations of your friends. Yeah. So like today I went to uh, to open it on my iPad and it loads pretty darn fast on the iPad, right? And um, it was it was either you or Justin and you had your, <laughs> your back to the camera and then you were like turning really fast and then it cut to inside my apartment. <laughs> and it was just like the second me, myself and me, the me made eye contact, like it disappeared like a cheap horror movie. <laughs> I was just sort of like a little kind of startled by that. But I don't know. It's still, it's, it's, it's still fun. It's still, it's still fun. <laughs> I have noticed that uh, there was a day or two there early this week where you and Justin were big on taking photos and <laughs> sharing those to the internet. And because this is a totally digital world with no real people, you can take me photos, M-I-I-F-O-T-O, and include your friends in them. And that I don't know why. <laughs> and you but can that, do whatever you want with those friends. You can pose them, expressions, their expression, yeah, word bubbles, yeah. And for some reason, that just freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> I just feel like that's really, really ripe for trolling. And can't you like? I think when you're looking at someone else's photo, you can like download the me's from it. Like you can extract those characters from other people's pictures. Oh Jesus. Can you presumably <laughs> maybe you still have to be friends with him? I don't know, but um <laughs> Yeah, that's upsetting in an entirely different way. <laughs> See, I feel like there's an easy way to solve this. If I want to share a photo that has you in it, you get a notification and you have to approve it. Yeah, I guess what Facebook also didn't do. Well yeah. Let you approve those. Well, it can't, don't you at least get notified, though? You do get notified when they tag you, and then I go and... Well, I usually wait a day, and then I untag myself, so that someone <laughs> doesn't notice right away that I've untagged myself. Uh, I mean, and this is, is not a perfect solution, right? Because in the editor, I could just take a screenshot, and then yeah. I still have it, or... Um, you know, the, That's like Snapchat's in, problem. Yeah, in, in Facebook's case, the uh, as the, the images is being tagged... You get a notification, but what if you turn that notification off? Yeah. Right? Or what if you it, it gets sent out and then, you you know, it's not perfect. I just, 
the first time I saw a picture of essentially me doing something I wasn't there for and didn't <laughs> sign off on, I was just kind of like, oh. <laughs> well, like Benji made me a giant monster with Shelby on my shoulder. <laughs> yeah. And she was yeah. like, why am I on his shoulder? <laughs> yeah, of all things in that picture, her biggest complaint was like, why am I small and on his shoulder? <laughs> Not why is Mike a gigantic, terrifying monster? I guess that she's used to because you're, you're, you're a tall gentleman. <laughs> I am a terrifying monster. <laughs> well, well, yeah. But anyway, that that's my my feelings on Mitomo. Still fun. I'm still using it, but I I am kind of uh, the 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 parts that are not so highly polished are starting to show. <laughs> well, and I may still log in for my daily bonus, but I'm not really using it much apart from that. Yeah, I somehow I ended up being friends in Mitomo with some people. I only like kind of casually know on like twitter and so i'm actually genuinely interested in their answers because i'm like oh i really am getting to know these people whereas like with you and benji and justin i'm just like more jokes yeah we're not really answering (laughs) honestly anymore either anyway And, and to be fair a lot of those questions like i don't need that information to continue my friendship with you (laughs) but with someone who's a near stranger that little bit of extra information i'm like oh okay this is kind of interesting but i feel like that's not really the expected use case like you're not expected (laughs) to be friends on mitomo with someone you barely know yeah someday when i'm a salesman at your door i'll know what to mention (laughs) yeah exactly i'll know your favorite baseball team as a kid or something but yeah anyway um another piece of follow-up here from a friend of the show justin Uh, who famously, as recently as just last week, had crapped all over my ability to explain (laughs) a technical concept. Um, We got into, uh, you you and I, and he got into a discussion on Twitter about um, why Bash on Windows isn't really that big of a deal and why it's probably not going to have the effect that lay people are imagining it will. So he wrote a thoughtful post on Medium, which we will... Yeah, because it's got to go somewhere, uh, which we will link to in the show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 114. And we don't make it past follow-up anymore. <laughs> we really it, That's kind of good, though. We have interesting follow-up. Um, but yeah, so he basically outlines that if you are already a developer on uh, OS ten or on Linux, this would no be nowhere near enough to persuade you to switch. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're a developer on Windows... You probably are already using a Windows tool chain to develop for Windows. So it's who, not who is entire, this for. <laughs> yeah, who is this for? I mean, for lay people, I think it's like interesting. You know, if you're the kind of person who's like, yeah, I want to be able to download the script from the internet and run it without understanding how it works, <laughs> then like you can do that on Linux and you can do that on OS X, but you haven't really been able to do that on Windows so much. Uh, and now you can, but <laughs> yeah, this, this is definitely not going to make, you know, a, an established developer change their entire lifestyle. Um, yeah. and, and he goes into a lot about how this could potentially develop into something more substantial and, and why this is such a terrible time to make a move like this. So I will let you go and, and what, what are you, what's the expression? Uh, I'll leave it as an exercise to the listener. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 
Our last bit of follow-up was that March was Sunrise Robot's biggest month ever, which is awesome. Um, but I will say that every time we have bigger numbers, there's a cynical side to me that's like, did like some new bots that are crawling the internet just hit our feeds really hard for a couple <laughs> days? Because <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, the analytics on podcast episodes are literally, if the file gets hit, it counts as a listen, even though you have no idea if they just went to a web page or played five seconds. Yeah, it's it's definitely not a perfect metric, uh, which if you are into advertising in the podcast industry, that's really hard because it's you can say we got this many hits on the file and that's about all you can say. Well, and someday some it'll probably take some platform becoming so big that everyone's using it to listen to podcasts and they'll implement deeper analytics and they'll be like, oh, yeah, people never get past halfway through an episode ever. And then all those sponsors paying for like later <laughs> sponsorships and shows <laughs> will just be like, we're no longer willing to pay for this at all. And then, <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine that. <laughs> I mean, we have Nielsen ratings, right, on television, and they have uh, similar stuff, I'm sure, for radio. Um, I, maybe they don't. How would, do they have a Nielsen thing for radio? Their method on radio is just make it 90% ads, and then don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, and then it doesn't matter when the ad falls, because it's only ads. You know, on that note, um, I, I've been watching baseball since it came back on streaming, and uh, the weird deals with sports and commercials is like the local commercials for the actual broadcast don't get played on the <laughs> internet stream, which you would think would be like, yay, yay, no commercials. Instead, you get like a splash image in total silence. <laughs> like they don't replace it. They don't have other content or different commercials they could probably sell ads for. It's just like MLB, the game will be back soon. Pure silence for like five <laughs> minutes. And then suddenly the game's back. And I actually find that kind of frightening and worse than terrible ads. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the old days of satellite tv you just saw the raw feed so you just saw whatever was happening while they were on a it was it was like you were in the park uh, yeah i don't care if the announcers take a break and we're just like watching the field and there's just crowd noise but that would be way better than just pure <laughs> silence yeah it is and is it a jarring dynamic return to the sound of the game i mean no but it's just the silence man it's so weird <laughs> Well, and so when you watch baseball, do you like sit and watch baseball? It's not something you have on like off. No, I'm a modern person. I'm always looking at my phone the whole time. <laughs> well, but I mean, you're, it's not like you're not doing dishes with the TV on behind you. Oh, well, so, I mean, baseball is good for that because it's a very slow sport. <laughs> That's true. Cause I'm just imagining like if you were sitting on the couch watching a game and then it's like, so do I just stare at this box in silence for two minutes or do I get yeah. up and go do something? Well, I, I like baseball as a background noise too. Like I'll throw on the audio while I work at my desk and that's great too when I don't feel like hearing music and the silence is bad for that too. Cause it's, Ooh, yeah, just... it's really bad for that. <laughs> that's actually worse. At least if you're sitting on the couch, you can like take out your phone or something. Yeah. But if you're relying on it to be background noise and then all of a sudden you're like, my background noise is denoised. Yeah. But anyway, I think, uh, I don't know, just big thanks. Big thanks to yeah, all the listeners. Yeah, super big thanks. And, and bots, maybe. Hopefully not. 
Yeah, and let's get into the show. And since I already brought up baseball, let's start with that. We have a couple short gaming topics, and uh, one of them is uh, I I purchased the new PS4 baseball game. Which you know, one weird fact about baseball sport. I know you don't care about sport ball generally, but you probably <laughs> don't follow the trends in sports games. Um, there hasn't been a mainstream MLB sports game for Xbox in like five years because they just don't make one and EA doesn't make one anymore. And it's just like, weirdly, if you love baseball and you have an Xbox, you just don't get any games. Huh. Um, but I'm sure they still get all the football games. Yeah, they get Madden and everything else, but yeah. um, there's just no cross-platform baseball games. So Sony makes one <laughs> for their systems. I didn't realize MLB was a, a Sony-specific product, the show. Well, they don't have an exclusive license. It's just no one else is making baseball games. <laughs> So I don't know what that says about baseball as a video game sport, but um, you know, if except for the most diehard, you know, of bro sports players, um, you really don't need to buy video game sports games very often. You can probably buy one every five years and <laughs> just be like, all right. I mean, the graphics are going to increment barely, and then next system I'll get one. Um, yeah, I mean, that's always been the joke with Madden. Yeah, it's like a sixty dollar roster update. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I had been uh, trying to get my dad to get a PS4 for a while so we could just play. Because, uh, I mean, I don't love baseball as much as my brothers or my dad did. But uh, since they loved it so much, it's one of the ways I, I try to relate to them. And uh, it was just like, man, get a PS4 and we'll play baseball online, even though Alaska <laughs> Internet sucks and I'll probably be laggy. <laughs> um, but uh, me and Justin got this game this year. And so we've played a couple games online. And uh, I have to say... Um, <laughs> This is a the the main core game of MLB is pretty good, um, but there's some problems with this uh, just as a product. And uh, there's two main things I want to mention. One is uh, the menus are the laggiest things I've seen in a long time, and it's how almost, do you have slow menus? Because I think almost every menu is filled with stuff it has to go fetch from the internet and apparently it's implemented very poorly Ugh. um so a lot of the screens are like you know like you want to play an exhibition game like normally you think in a sports game i just want to play a game get me on the field i'll pick a team and we'll just do this thing well it's like do you want to use today's rosters well i got to go fetch who played today and who was pitching today and oh. all the times and which stadium they were at and apparently this can't be a neatly tiny text file that has a list it's just <laughs> got to be some horrible fetch quest um and so literally though it, it like shows you a picture of a field as a splash screen and nothing shows up while it churns for upwards of 15 20 seconds okay oh, and so that's a big, you know, buzzkill when you're like, all right, let's sit down, let's play some baseball. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is the one of the reasons I wanted to get it was to play Justin, even though he's in California. And uh, the online multiplayer has been glitchy as hell. <laughs> so one thing that happened, which is a funny story, is uh, so we're in like, you know, a couple innings into the game. And uh, I, I hit a grounder to the second baseman. And in my view, this made it straight into the outfield, and I've got a single, and I'm like, woohoo! And so I, I had Justin on an audio call because we didn't do voice chat through the PS4, and he, he got a double play on his side. He stopped the grounder and got a double play, and our games diverged, and then it froze because it was clearly losing its shit. Um, but that was just like this quantum universe break between us, and... Uh, so there's definitely some like, man, this is like, 
This is all you do, Sony, with this one sports game you only have to make for <laughs> one platform, and you got some polishing to do. So we don't have to spend a lot of time about it, but um, I did one other thought that's occurred to me in the past that I want to bring up again. There's like a big RPG mode, which is like you create a player or you can pick a, a real player, and you just follow them through a career, and you upgrade your stats, and you train, and like you start out in AAA minor leagues, and you work your way up to the Major League Baseball. And, um, oh, what so, I, so you literally are... Are like the player going through the ranks. Yeah, and you don't have to play a full nine innings. It just like plays your at-bats and the occasional hits that come your way are the only parts of the game you have to play. Huh. So you don't have to spend hours in baseball games where nothing happens. Um, <laughs> and it just occurred to me, again, that sports games are RPGs for people who don't think they play RPGs. They're never going to play as an angsty, blue-haired teenager that's going to fight mystical beings, but they're doing the same grinding. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's such an old joke, but it's one of those things that uh, because you and I are on the the more kind of uh, liberal side of it, like we're comfortable with playing an angsty blue haired, like, <laughs> you know, super skinny wackadoo with a giant sword. Like we're okay with that. Um, but you know, the, the stereotypical frat boy dude, bro, that is not okay with that or even just not interested in it. Like let's, let's not assume it's a masculinity thing, but <laughs> yeah. they're just not interested in it. If you tell that person, Oh wow, you uh, can control their stats and, pretend to be them and then uh, grow them up over gameplay, you know this is literally the definition of what di- makes a role-playing game, right? Like, you're playing their role, and and it's like, people are just weirdly offended by it. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's like if you just went up to someone and, and you called them the worst you know, thing you could possibly imagine. They're just like, that's not me. That's not me. And it's like, no, it, it's okay. You're allowed to play role-playing game. I play role-playing game. I never play role-playing games. You shut up. What'd you say about my mom? Like, it's so weird to me. And, you know, eventually that generation will age out of games and it'll just be a foregone conclusion that games have these RPG elements because they're interesting and engaging for the a certain kind yeah. of player. But, man, it's so funny. It's such a you know great way to make games more satisfying and last longer too because like what the feeling of getting into the majors was you know not nearly as cool when you're an actual baseball player it probably feels amazing but um <laughs> it was just like yes finally I'm not playing these like country stadiums with like tiny feel like they you feel like oh there's a crowd here now like it's kind of awesome it's sort of like in a rock band like at first you're in like little crappy bars and then there's only a few people in the audience and it gets bigger and bigger you're still playing the same songs they sound identical but there's like an atmosphere yeah and and you earned it and and i mean yeah still you you play the exhibition game where you pick the all-star team and you play the worst team and you just crush them and you're like (laughs) yeah but um this way you, you feel like you had to work up to it a bit i want to see some interesting development in games to handle your laggy quantum universe situation (laughs) where it's like there's a mini game where you have to rock paper scissors to see whose reality (laughs) you end up going with or like the first one to the first one to open the box and see if the cat's alive like they their reality becomes the real one (laughs) so instead of fixing their net code they're just gonna (laughs) add more mini games to it yeah pretty much they can just bake uh like warioware into (laughs) into the game (laughs) 
Like we we're not going to stop these trains from crashing. We're just going to build machinery to put them back on a track. <laughs> <laughs> I just I especially because you guys were talking to each other at the same time and you had such a different experience. <laughs> it was of... like single. <laughs> Why did your second baseman freeze? <laughs> I had a double play, bro. <laughs> Literally. Uh, anyway, um this other uh gaming topic, it, it, br- bring me into this. <laughs> so uh square released a demo for final fantasy 15 and it it's uh really kind of i downloaded it pretty quickly and just to check it out and um it's really halfway just a game engine uh simulate or demonstration so i mean there's like some very thin plot elements you're a kid who's in the middle of a nightmare and you're actually literally in his dreams and there's some kind of little muse creature kind of leading you through it. And uh, it's kind of a hallway simulator. You kind of run forward <laughs> and uh, step on these switches, which change the weather, or suddenly there's monsters and you have a sword. And uh, you go through three little areas. Like the first one's kind of like this like rocky terrain with some like lakes and like you see a big dragon fly over you and um, you fight some little Kingdom Hearts creatures because that's how they spawn and exactly how you fight them. Exactly <laughs> like that. Yeah, they um, come up out of the ground exactly <laughs> like the inky black. I will get to my feelings. Um, and so you go through that area and then you end up as like, you know, little Alice in Wonderland situation. You're super tiny. You're in a room with like a wood floor and a big table and you got... Uh, you climb it and you go into this little toy house and then you end up on uh, like some super modern city um, with crazy architecture and you fight like a boss and you actually warp into your older teenage self instead of like your 11 year old or something version and you fight this boss and then the controls are really clunky and I didn't really get it and we'll talk about <laughs> that too um, and then the demo's over and that's it. And it was very pretty. The frame rate was definitely 30 or less. Um, definitely a little laggy sometimes. but Right? Choppy as hell. But it was gorgeous. Um, but yeah, I when wonder... nothing was moving. <laughs> um, and so this was a weird demo to release because I don't think it's a, like, assuming the game isn't like this, <laughs> um, then it's not a good look. Well, no matter what, it's not a good look, I don't think. Well, so... We'll we'll talk about the demo specifically, and then I'll get to my feelings. Um, but yes, it was super laggy, which I was expecting. Like, oh man, it's like this new game engine; it's going to be amazing on this new hardware. And then it fired up, and I was like, I can see the edges of things and texture maps, and this is like twenty two frames per. What the hell is happening? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I didn't realize how high my expectations had gotten until they were just so dashed. And it's not that it looked bad. It looks fantastic, but it doesn't, it's not what I was like promised. Like I had these really high hopes from all the stuff they've been showing at like game shows. And then when I actually sat in front of it, I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, they've been showing off tech for a couple of years too. Like before they had any game themed assets. Like I remember some, game engine demo that was just like some totally made up world and like some girl running through a city and some old guy and it was like ridiculously amazing looking and then you remember what always happens with game engine demos is (laughs) five years later the game comes out and it's half of what they showed yeah which it has to be because it's not pre-rendered 
And if you're a big video game nerd, you're probably about to say, well, that one demo Square Enix did, that was not pre-rendered. Remember they showed the turning the camera and changing the lighting effects? Yeah, that was cool. Where's the game based on that engine? <laughs> and, where you know, there was there AI going on? Was there anything else going on? Yeah, how powerful was the hardware running that engine? Was it on, like, stock off-the-shelf PlayStations? Or was it on, like, a freaking Cray cluster? <laughs> like, this, yeah. th- this matters, you know, especially if you're going to go all, like, PC master race like the hardware running the demo is relevant yeah so the graphics didn't bum me other than being a little choppy um but the thing that bummed me the most was when you finally get to this boss fight um it you know maybe the demo just makes a really half-assed effort at actually explaining how to fight but that was a train wreck of a fight. It wasn't fun. I didn't understand how to dodge or block or what attacks would be effective against this guy. I just kind of grinded it out, and the game magically healed me because it didn't want me to lose. And then it was <laughs> over eventually. And then I was like, why would this make me want to buy your game? Well, so this was my experience with the boss fight. Um, there's like a little blue, like, whooshy animation, I guess, when you successfully dodge. Successfully. I, sl- <laughs> I slipped into some Sean Connery there for a second. Yeah, <laughs> when, uh, when you correctly dodge, there's like a blue kind of little, like, super fast motion. Um, and so when I fought him, I was like, not sure what was happening at first, but I was like, okay, I'm not taking damage. And every time he attacks, I see that little animation. So I guess that's like the dodging animation. And then like, I would hit him a few times and like he hit me and then I would see the little animation again. I was like, okay, yeah, that's definitely at least one of the dodging animations. And then I beat him pretty handily. And I was like, well, that's, that was kind of boring but that's about (laughs) what i you would expect from a a demo because it's like hey come play more get stronger well then there's the little button you step on that ends the demo but if you walk past that yeah i did that too (laughs) there's another button and i was like what does this button do so like an idiot i stepped on it and it says uh something stirs in the dreamscape i think and then the boss gets up again and then you turn back into your older self. And I was like, I don't want to fight him again. I'm just going to go stand on the end the demo button, which doesn't work. You yeah. have to fight him again. <laughs> and my second time, having just fought him and doing exactly what I had just done was exactly like your experience. He kept <laughs> killing me. None of my hits were landing. I couldn't dodge any of his attacks. I was like, I'm not mad that I'm dying. I'm mad that from my point of view, I have changed nothing (laughs) and I am getting completely different results. Like what is clearly something is different. What is different? And the game makes no effort to tell you. No, it it doesn't really explain other than like the very basics of how to swing what is going on in combat. Um, To be fair, I found an article um, with an interview with the director of the game, Tabata, whose, you know, famed credentials include Crisis Core um, and some other not very important to me games in Square's history. (laughs) Um, He says that the, the combat is much better, that the demo is not representative of the final whatever, like... So kind of damage control comments about like, hey, everyone, stop hating on the demo. <laughs> um, but, you know, whenever this happens, I'm like, why did you release this? No one required you to release this. No. 
millions of fans bit. are still going to buy the game even if there's no demo. Um, release a demo. Like I remember when Final Fantasy VIII's demo came out, and even given that it's a very mixedly received game, not everyone loves it, the demo was freaking awesome for Final I, Fantasy VIII. I honestly don't remember. Was that one you got on a black disc in PlayStation Magazine? Uh, it came with Brave Fencer uh, Musashi. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that game was good. And oh. it was just the, uh, the is it, I forget the name of the city, but you invade a place where a giant like spider creature chases you out at the end. And it was just that sequence. And so this was like super impressive. FMVs were still kind of cool. <laughs> Um, the the second 3D Final Fantasy is coming out, so you aren't tired of them yet. And so that was a demo that was like, oh, hell yes, I'm going to buy this game. Um, <laughs> this demo is not giving me that feeling, even though I, I will probably still buy Final Fantasy 15. But Well, so now we've arrived at my feelings on this game. Um, this is not Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I... <laughs> As I've been, tr- as I've been trying to formulate my thoughts on this, uh, I I can't get away from this is going to sound like old man yells at cloud, like nostalgia goggles. Everything was better when I was a kid, but my problem is that Square Enix made Kingdom Hearts, and then they made the Advent Children movie, and they made Crisis Core, and they were like, yeah, yeah, let's just make everything like this from now on. Everything will just be you know, skinny, angsty teenagers and everything will be sad and mopey and everyone will be impossibly strong and they can just kind of hang in the air. They can't fly. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) They can't fly, but they can just kind of like hang a few feet off the ground for a near infinite amount of time while they swing their sword. And I like that aesthetic. I don't have a problem with it. I like Kingdom Hearts. Please make Kingdom Hearts 3. It's been like 15 years. (laughs) My, but my problem is that until Bravely Default and and now Bravely Second came along, no one stepped up to take over the mantle Final Fantasy gave up, right? Like, it's okay that Final Fantasy evolved into something different. I'm not mad that Final Fantasy has changed. I'm mad that nothing took its place. So for people <laughs> who still want an old-fashioned turn-based RPG, you're just... I mean, there's indie games, but there aren't like triple A games like there no. used to be. And that that's the feeling I'm trying to express. Not that it's unacceptable for a, a 30-year-old series to evolve and change, but I just, until Bravely Default came along, I was just like, nothing fills this hole. They're all just <laughs> Kingdom Hearts now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever, did you play Kingdom Hearts? Yeah, I played the first one probably five or ten hours into it. I can't remember how many <laughs> Disney worlds I got to. Um, is the first one you go to Hercules World? Uh, you go there early, and then you immediately leave, and then you go back a couple times. Because there's no like world, it's just the arena. Right. Okay. Or the, I, I guess it'd be the Coliseum. Well, anyway, I can't remember how far I got, but I played through maybe half the first game. Yeah, I mean, for me, like that... When that game came out, I was a teenager, an older teenager, I guess, but I was a teenager. Um, It was made by the company that made my all-time favorite game series, and it was starring Disney characters, which (laughs) I'm a huge Disney fan. So I was just like, 
oh, neat. This was literally made for me. <laughs> and if no one else likes it and nobody else buys it, I don't care because it's as though an entire company built this product <laughs> so that I would be happy. And then the second one came out. And I remember, like, this is a total nostalgia feeling for me. Like, I remember in the second one, the first time you see Mickey, because he's in the very end of the first game, and then you <laughs> see him fight in the second game, and he just drops in and just ruins everyone. And, <laughs> you know, as a teenage boy who loves Disney and who loves Final Fantasy, I was just like, yes! <laughs> like, Mickey Mouse is cleaning it! Like, it was just, it was so good. And and then, you know, there was, like, the, the mobile games, and there was, like, a card there's game. A, there's a DS game, maybe a 3DS game, too. But Yeah, and they've re-released them a bunch of times. I've never played them. Yeah, there's an HD PS3 version or something. Yeah. But I mean, like, the the story is, um, what's the word? Awful. <laughs> it's it's so dumb. Like, it's really dumb and convoluted. But like that's not... boarding teenagers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not what you're there for, right? You do, you do not go to Mickey wielding a sword land because you're like, I want to know about the universe. You're like, no, I just want to see, you know, Ariel cast lightning spells. Well, it reminds me of, like, when Final Fantasy Tactics Advance came out, and it was like... But they're these kids, and they're throwing snowballs, and there's judges, and I was like, "This Ugh. isn't why I play tactics. I don't, <laughs> I don't care about these kids in the real world. I care about knights and <laughs> stupid yeah. princess stories. Like, let's yeah, do it." Yeah, every uh, every comic and game that is uh, kids who get trapped in like a virtual world where like their whole life is in that virtual world. Every time they take off the helmet or they, they whatever and they go into the real world, you're like, I don't care. So the worst part of every Assassin's Creed game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Walk around this apartment. Thanks. Yeah, it's like, I really, I really don't want to see what brand of hoodie I wear in the real world. <laughs> yeah. I just want to jump off rooftops and stab people in the face. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, the, the whole um, virtualized, like... Oh, it's you're living in a world within a world that you're playing the game. Okay, fine. Just can we just get rid of that framing device and go directly? <laughs> but anyway, um, that that's like my my whole gripe with this is that it's just not, um, it's it's just it doesn't feel like a Final Fantasy. It may be a perfectly serviceable game. I will probably get it. I will probably enjoy it. But those probably have some asterisks on them. Yeah, like. I played all of Final Fantasy 13 and enjoy is a strong word to describe <laughs> my feelings. And I got about halfway into 13-2 and I was just like, oh my God, this is still happening to me. I didn't even try 13-2 and I never finished 13. <laughs> yeah, I got like halfway through it and I just, I felt uh, being done to me is the right way to describe it. I was just like, oh, this <laughs> it game. It was inflicted <laughs> on you. Um, and, and the last one, like I don't own it. I don't know anyone who's played it. <laughs> And I never hear anyone talk about 13 ever no. in any context. I probably hear more about fire. 12, and people don't talk about 12 either. I like 12. I, 12 I, is I like great. The, I like the fake MMO thing. Yeah. Well, the the whole like programming your crew thing was just really satisfying. Yeah. But I don't know. Are you, you said you're probably going to buy it, you're probably going to play it, but are you looking forward to it at all? I'm not hyped right now. I'm. I'm skeptical. I'm super skeptical. And I might even be in wait a couple weeks and see what people say about it mode. Oh, unless this happened to get released like right before I'm going on 
some imaginary vacation in which my <laughs> wife and children are not around, there's no way I'm going to get this the day it comes out because I have a full-time job and a wife and two small children and I can't devote 60 hours to angsty teenagers. <laughs> you know, I, okay, so th this will be my last thing and then I promise we can move on unless you have something else to add. Something about seeing them drive in a modern-looking car pisses me off <laughs> so much. Like, it just feels so out of place for Well, they're Final still Fantasy. like, but there's dragons and swords and, like, little ghosts and stuff. But cars, and he's, like, going to a wedding, and, like, he's got a family. And, and it's like something about the car. Because, I mean, a lot of Final Fantasies have had this mix of, like... Uh, you know, technology and magic, like in a world where not everyone has magic, of course there would still be some technology. How would people without magic function? So like, I understand that those two things wouldn't be mutually exclusive unless everyone had magic. <laughs> and then it'd be like Harry Potter where why would you have technology? You have magic, but it, that's not the case. This is a world where like very high advanced technology and very high advanced magic exists and yet they're like totally at odds all the time and it's like a world where necessity isn't the mother of invention people are just inventing constantly yeah it's just and like in final fantasy 7 there was like that one motorcycle and there's that one bizarre three-wheeled truck and there's the train but that's kind of it well for there's vehicles. midgar and then there's the rest of the entire world right um, and Final Fantasy VI had a similar thing where it was like the one like technologically advanced empire city and then everything else is like, Villages. you know, uh, mi yeah, middle agey. Um, but something about just like all those promo videos when the game was first announced were like them riding in a damn car and then like getting out and fighting monsters on the side of the road. I was just like, what am I looking like, at? Like the hangover as a Final Fantasy game. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, it's, I, I, I am totally unable to articulate why the car bothers me so much. But something about it just sticks out. Like at the bottom, it might as well just say like you're playing a video game, <laughs> like a like a screener disc from the Oscars where it says like Michael Edwards' copy of the show. Yeah. Like, uh, well, and even those other instances you mentioned, like the motorcycle in seven, which was like a badass sequence. You're swinging your sword and destroying other motorcycles and escaping uh, Shinra, I think, is that sequence. Yeah. But, uh, um, and in the car in eight, you can drive a car if you want, which it's it's still been weird, even in those <laughs> games, that it's there. Um, but this just highlights it more. It's like, road trip, bro. <laughs> JK, it's a JRPG. <laughs> I don't maybe I'll love it, but I'm 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 with you. I'm not hyped. All right. Time to move on. Yeah, let's talk about this ifty pin uh pinboard little shenanigans. So I've been wanting to talk to you about this for a while, and then two things happened recently that I was like, oh, this is a perfect jumping off point. So uh IFTTTTTTTTTT is uh if this then that. It's a service like uh I think Zapier is another one. Um and there's there's others. Uh but it's a service where you can connect third parties to it and then the glue service in the middle, IFTTT in this case, will do things based on what happens in those other services. So the best example I can give you that like a normal person would care about is uh, I connected my Facebook account and my Dropbox account, 
And if someone tags me in a photo, it automatically saves a copy of that photo to my Dropbox. Because for a while, I was not using Facebook, but I still had friends that were. And if they would you know, take photos that I wanted a copy of, because I was obviously there with them, then yeah. th- that was a way for me to like easily get those without having to log in and download and blah, 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 blah. Um, so it does stuff like that. We, Sunrise Roboters, um, if you are paying really close attention, if you follow our Twitter account, you might see that the links to the shows when they're posted are actually IFTTT links. Um, underneath and then they probably go to Tico and there's like 45 redirects in between but <laughs> um, but so we use IFTTT to auto post new episodes and the reason I say this came up recently is because we just released a all shows feed that has all the shows in it because before I had to have an IFTTT recipe for each show so yeah because po- they were different po- RSS feeds yeah so posting everywhere you know all the the three or four different pa- places we were posting I had to like set up that machinery for six shows which yeah. was annoying and I was really glad to streamline that um and then this thing with pinboard happened basically IFTTT changed their their terms of service and they said um we're gonna have this new way of integrating and you third-party service are obligated to figure out how to connect into this yeah and pinboard which is like a, a social bookmarking you ever use pinboard it's like delicious yeah was they, they call it no one social, talks about them anymore but. social bookmarking for introverts is their tagline <laughs> yeah. um i've used services like this but not this specific one um but pinboard basically got a letter from my FTTT saying uh, oh yeah, you know. Pinboard because, users got a letter oh, from users. IFTTT. Sorry, yes, crucial, <laughs> crucial element there. Uh, the users got an email from IFTTT saying like, "Oh hey, we're about to turn this off because Pinboard's not compatible with our new hotness." And the, uh, I guess, founder. I think Pinboard might actually be a one. I person think it's shop. just one guy. <laughs> I think it is. Um, but he responded on his blog and was basically like, "Go f yourself." <laughs> Yeah, and he had a very like he basically said like I have to do this because I everyone thinks I'm a jerk because of the way <laughs> Ifty's letter was like oh pinboard's not being cool and playing nice so we're gonna cut you off um, and he's like okay I get it like writing this middleware glue layer with APIs is hard work um, that's a lot of work it's pretty thankless everyone wants the feature no one will pay you for it and uh, I understand if. IFTTT doesn't want to make that. Um, but they've kind of pretended like I have to make it and they're not going to pay me to do it. And my, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just kind of like, why should I do this for nothing? Like, why should I do this for $0? It's cool that they want to change what their service is, but their way of writing my users makes it look like I'm a complete jerk when really I want to explain how this is really hard work. But then his blog post goes on to talk about the uh, term... Uh, the the term agreement that IFTTT has in place for this service, and there's some updates to it, but their their terms at the time were terrifying. I think they still are until they update them. Um, basically, <laughs> they were claiming that not only um, aspects of their service, but that the content that goes through it would be owned by IFTTT. Um, they, um, oh, man, what else were they saying? Oh, the, the licensee, which means the person who, you know, pinboard in this case, is required to maintain compatibility with IFTTT. Oh, yeah. Which means if they change anything, you as the service owner are at fault. Yeah. 
Um, and just all sorts of horrible things, which um, the update is that IFTTT was like, I hate saying their name. I just say <laughs> IFTTT because I don't Ifty. care. Yeah, IFTTT's uh, good. Um, they update and said, ooh, that was, our, that was our beta terms, and we just need to, whoops, we just need to update those. <laughs> and, like, I don't know, maybe that's true, but it's still, <laughs> like, crappy. Well, anytime this happens, it always terrifies me, like, are you doing the right thing because you were always going to or because of the outrage? Because what happens the next time people are too busy to be outraged about some stupid internet thing? So I actually want to quote um, what he said about their terms. So first thing, um, they make the claim about not just owning their API and service, but the content that flows through it. That's disturbing. Um, they uh, require that I do custom development work for them for free on demand. That's the whole, if we change anything, you have to immediately respond and fix your end of the deal. Um, pray I do not alter it further. <laughs> um, they assert the right to patent any clever ideas I have while doing that free work for them, even though I hate software patents. <laughs> um, and then finally, they reserve the right to transfer this agreement to anyone at all without my consent. And so he was just like, this is why I'm not doing this. I think this is an, a, re, a reasonable position to take. And uh, yeah, maybe we should take a second look at what Ifty's trying to do because what the hell. I also have personal photos going through there. Like what yeah. about those? And I mean, this is something Google comes up against every once in a while or Facebook or anybody that handles personal stuff, which is we don't legally own your stuff we have to legally have temporary ownership so that we can act on it. And yeah. Google has gotten a lot better about clarifying their language so that they don't go through this every single time they well, release a new photo service. What you're describing service. is a, a usage license, not yes. ownership. And that's exactly. what they, they always claim ownership instead of usage license. Yes. And, and that is where, and I, you know, every time we talk about this kind of legal stuff, I always preface, not a lawyer, but <laughs> it seems... Like, if you put in, I mean, he actually has a direct quote ownership. IFTTT shall own all right, title, and interest, and all related moral rights and intellectual property rights in and to the developer tool, service, and content. And it's like, it, th that doesn't feel vague and confusing. Yeah. That feels like normal English where they said, all your base are belong to us. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't feel like my lack of, of, you know, Esquire at the end of my name is preventing me from understanding that sense. <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no nuance there of like, well, we really just kind of have the right to use it. It's yeah, like, exactly. No, you claimed in every possible quantum universe, MLB or otherwise, <laughs> that you own this content. So the, the pinboard, I mean, I don't use pinboard, but this makes me worried because... I think a big future for the internet is open APIs. So you have two services or three services or a hundred services and you want uh, a cascading effect. When something happens in service one, it affects service two, which affects service three, which affects services four, five, and six. They all yeah. do something simultaneously. Like most people are not ever going to be, at least not in the near future, are not going to be a good enough developer that they can set something like that up on their own, even if all those services have completely open APIs that anybody can tap into. So until then, uh, we're going to rely on glue services like IFTTT, like Zapier, BotEyes is the other one I couldn't think of. Um, uh, this now makes me worry about that, yeah. <laughs> like a lot. 
Well, I mean, this always, I feel like this has sort of come up when we talked about Twitter. Like, if you think of Twitter as this kind of one stable form of modern communication, and it's like, yeah, we let a private company own this entire mode of communication, and maybe it shouldn't be a private company that owns it because they do terrible things sometimes um, when what's good for people doesn't align with what's good for business. Um, and this can happen for the, yeah, the glue layer of the internet. Like, I get it that, you know, no one wants to do this for free and it's hard to get funding from public sources for things that might be good ideas. So it takes companies a lot to trailblaze but how do we negotiate that like all right this private company did the land grab and they own it all now <laughs> um please let go of that so for the good of humanity this can just be a good thing instead of your thing well the good news about this specific thing the glue layer thing is nobody can own this right you can't own even though ifttd apparently tried you can't own other people's things. <laughs> yeah. so, so if you, all you do, and I don't mean that to say it's an easy thing, but if your part of the project is linking existing services together, you can't own that construct. Have that you is told not a, Comcast this? Oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but so this is an important difference, right? Is Comcast the argument they constantly make is like, well, but we we dug the holes in the ground and we we put the yeah. metal wires into the holes in the ground. And even though I don't agree with it, that is very different than this because anybody can spin up servers anywhere that can talk to all of the internet. Physical location isn't relevant, so you can't even make that incredibly tenuous <laughs> literal land grab argument. <laughs> Um, but I mean, like Bot Eyes charges money, Zapier charges money. Is there yeah. a pro version of IFTTT? I don't know if there is. I feel like this is where they're going, though. Where at the very least, they're, they they start off building all these integrations on behalf of these services, um, and now they're. It's not an unreasonable thing for IFT to say, "Hey, we don't want to build all the integrations anymore. We want to set up a cool platform that makes it easy for anyone who wants to join us to build integrations." That's not the crazy part of this. The crazy part was the letter they sent to pinboard users and yes. the terms of service. And I, I, what must their back end be like that they had working code and saw punishing existing loyal users? as a good avenue to transition their, their software product. I don't know. <laughs> Cause I mean, uh, it doesn't look like IFTTT has a pay version or at least they don't advertise it, but like Zapier and bot eyes. And I'm sure there are others. They basically are like, you can do a small amount of stuff for free. You can do more for a small amount of money. You can do a lot more for more money, right? Like it scales in a very predictable way. Because you're basically buying server time. Like, yeah. if I want IFTTT to connect things for me, I'm basically saying I would like your servers to do work on my behalf. So it is perfectly reasonable to me that you would pay money for that service. And it's also perfectly reasonable that they would have a first one's free tier to get you hooked on the convenience because if there's a limit to how much you can do, you're basically just using extra cycles, yeah. right? So you're, you're being subsidized by the paid users like every other free service that's ever existed. <laughs> yeah. um, but this, this idea of saying, hey, we built this amazing thing and it turns out building things is hard. 
now we want Mexico to pay for the wall. Like, <laughs> it's just a really weird um, yeah. mental leap for them to make. And again, they back down, which is, or they, they're backing down, which is good, but would they have done the right thing? Like they're pretending they would have, I don't know. Yeah. Do you use uh, Ifty or any services like it? I have some of those same things you described. Like if I like something on Instagram, add it to my Dropbox, but I don't really have anything beyond that. It, it's kind of been one of those things where you're like, cool, I can connect. Yeah, I'll just get photos. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't have, like, if I post on WordPress, send it to these eight other blogging platforms or anything stupid like that. But Yeah, but that is the exact kind of stuff you can do. You know, if you catch yourself doing something by hand that's repeatable, repetition is, like, one of the uh, yeah. the requirements for automation. And, I mean, IFTTT connects to many, 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 many services. So there, there are, oh, you know, uh, a cool one I have uh, now that I live somewhere where it gets cold in the winter. Um, if the overnight low is going to get below a certain amount, I get a uh, a task with a reminder on my Todoist list that says leave the cabinets under the sink open so the pipes don't freeze. And it's like, yeah, are there like a million other ways I could do that? Sure. Could I just yeah. check the freaking weather? Absolutely. But I kind of like that. I don't have to think about it. I've automated it away and I will just get a reminder that tells me, Hey, just go open the cabinets before you go to bed. <laughs> well, that kind of plays into our next topic, which is internet of things and connected home stuff. Um, anything else about this pinboard ifty situation? No, these two topics are so intermingled there. There will probably be a little wishy wash back and forth. So what happened with revolve? <laughs> so revolve, what is Revolve? Revolve with no, you with know, no, no, yeah. <laughs> it's very Web two O, Michael. Uh, Revolve was a a smart hub, so you could uh, have this thing in your house and then make other parts of your house do things, right? So it's IFTTT for physical objects. So yeah, they were a connected home startup. They got acquired by Nest, which is owned by Alphabet or still owned by Google directly. Nest is an alphabet company. Okay. I believe. Someone will <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, um, that whole thing is all just for tax reasons anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they, they got acquired um, by Nest, which essentially means they're owned by Google because um, alphabet just happened recently. And the problem is uh, when they were acquired 18 months ago, they immediately stopped selling the hub, the Revolve hub, which may have been an indication. I'm not yeah. saying that anyone is expected to act on that, but like that's an ominous sign, right? Yeah. And now uh Nest is going to shut down the Revolve web service, which is required for the thing to work. Yeah. The thing cannot talk directly to anything. It has to go out to the internet and then come back. Yeah, it's like, you know, you can't play Fantasy Star Online anymore because Sega has shut down those servers. So there are, are several little pieces to this, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. Um, they also sent a really crappy letter <laughs> as their way of saying they were shutting down. But by sent, I mean they didn't send it to anyone. Good, good They start. actually just posted it on their website, and then people started finding it Great. and freaking out. So... <laughs> 
So, so instead uh, of owning that customer relationship, they're like, what if they found out through the press who, and who made their own conclusions about what this means? Well, that seems like a good strategy. Yeah. And uh, there's some very terse language in here, like, um, is my product still under warranty? No. Our one-year warranty against defects in materials or workmanship has expired for all Revolve products. It's just like, sorry, brah. <laughs> It's done. We're done. We're, yeah. Well, I you think don't have the, to go home, but you can't stay here. The thing that bites people about this is um, I don't think most people are expecting them to prop up a platform they're not investing future development in forever. I don't think maybe there's some people who are like, yeah, I don't care what it is. Keep it alive forever. But um, <laughs> I don't think that's the dispute. The, the frustrating part is I spent $300 on this box that requires the cloud to do anything, and now it's a paperweight. And that feels crappy. Can you throw me a bone? I know you're not legally obligated to throw me a bone, <laughs> but wow, do you want me to ever buy any of your stuff ever again? Well, and the fact that Google previously owned Nest, whether or not, I, I'm pretty sure they're an alphabet company now, but um, Google has this kind of history of, standing up a service, putting a bunch of emphasis and money behind it, and then being like, eh, that didn't work. <laughs> and so now that this is starting to happen with very ex- – because before it was just free stuff. Yeah, it's like Google Buzz went away, and if I happen to like it, well, my $0 I invested came up to nothing. <laughs> right. So frustrating, definitely. Your time does have value, but it doesn't have the incredibly obvious tangible value of actual value <laughs> where you spent literal money on a thing. So – you know, there, there's two articles, um, or uh, three, three, two, three, three, three articles uh, I, I linked to about this. Uh, a, a very good Wired article, a hilarious uh, medium piece, and then an uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation piece. But in uh, in the Wired piece, uh, there, there's a quote that is near the top of the article that I think is important. It's, uh, this isn't the end of the world. If you can afford to buy a $300 hub for all your smart home gadgets, you can probably afford to replace it with something else. And even if you can't, smart home gadgets rank pretty low on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The (laughs) real problem is Nest's decision sends a pretty clear signal that you just can't rely on the Internet of Things things. And I'm... I I have feelings about this. (laughs) Because I think this is going to create a a lot of market pressure that these products need to function in some capacity if their service goes away. Not in the same capacity, but in some capacity. Well, even for a service that has a functioning future in development and investment, I would want it to fail gracefully if my neighborhood's internet goes out. Like if I have a, let's just, Picture the Jetson future. I have a modern <laughs> connected home, you know, my cooling, my whatever, everything, my lighting, my dishwasher, literally everything is smart and connected. If the net goes out, my phone should not be, or my home should not become useless. <laughs> like, that's bad. This stuff should fail gracefully no matter what. Well, and, and I think we are in such early days that we haven't really thought about what that means. So if you have smart lights that come on at sunset, right? They, they gradually come on as the sun sets very hip and modern, right? A lot of people have like hue bulbs that do that. 
well, if the internet goes down, should you still be able to turn them on and off like from a switch? Should you still be able to turn them on and off from your iPhone? Like what yes. is, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying is like, we, we need to figure out what the, the base level of functionality is on like a, a thing by thing basis. Well, and with your particular example, like sunrise and sunset are pretty easy to predict you know, for millions of years at a time, <laughs> it's it's not like, well, will the sky be clear? Well, you know, we can tell the tides unless a storm comes in. Like, there's not a lot of chaos theory to it. Yeah. And so it's like, we don't need a million server calls. What can be, like, probably downloaded and cached and have you know, 20 years of sunsets ready to go. Agreed. Okay, so not a fantastic example. But that was just one example. But but, but th- this is what I mean. So in that case, you would say, yes, absolutely. Like, yes, they should still work exactly the same <laughs> as long as they have power. But then if it's, uh, I don't know, <clears throat> say it's, it's something that's connected to, like your sprinklers are connected to, uh, to, to like weather information, and your internet has been down for a week because they're doing construction outside of your your neighborhood on the main road. So you haven't had home internet. Your sprinklers don't know that the forecast changed and it's going to rain, so they still turn on, right? So something like that, you would say like, well, they have to talk to the internet. Like they cannot get updated information and weather data changes relatively yeah. frequently. So in, in that but case, give you it's a like, way to turn it off. Yeah, but I still need a way to turn it off. Exactly. And for a lot of these things, they could have smart, sensible defaults or programmable like, hey, this is your fail safe setting. If the net goes out, what do you want your sprinklers to do? Right. And it's like, oh, well, Monday, Wednesday and Friday, I want you to sprinkle for 30 minutes and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do think, though, that the other side of this uh, is the like hey, it's it's kind of really early days for this stuff. Like, how long were you expecting this thing to work? Because they were never going to support it forever. So forever is an inconceivable thing. Here's the weird thing, though. Um, Revolve said they would. Like, they've had a lifetime, like, we Makes will support... <laughs> yeah, like, we will support this device forever... And then Nest was like, what? We're not going to do that, right? And so in this this specific case, I think Revolve was sort of foolish to make that promise. Like, there's well, you just all, can't there's trust a- that promise because whoever someone is sold to is not beholden to those promises. Well, there's a litany of reasons that they would not be able to follow through on that promise. Like, There's just so many reasons that that would become cumbersome or impossible and the most obvious of which is just, oh, we got bought, <laughs> right? <laughs> which cynically, what if that was their plan all along? It's like, we'll never have to fulfill this promise because we're going to get bought or we'll fail and it won't matter. We'll be bankrupt. Yeah. Oh, bankruptcy, another incredibly common thing that could have happened. Like, oh, yeah, we would have guaranteed it, but we don't exist anymore. Huh? <laughs> so, like, how how long do you expect in, in a world where they don't fail gracefully, which I agree like that needs to happen, but in a world where they don't fail gracefully and they a hundred percent rely on the internet, how long do you expect these things to live? And are you expected to be given that shelf life up front? Like, do you expect them to say three years? We promise you this will work for three years, but the, the second the clock strikes midnight on that third year, all bets are off. 
this feels like victim blaming. I mean, I don't, I don't hear people that were expecting indefinite, even if that's what Revolve promised. I think people are like, hey, this thing was 300 bucks and I got 18 months out of it. Um, Throw me a bone. Like, I keep saying that. Like, give them a $100 Google Play credit and say, sorry that we're killing this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, you had to throw victim blaming out there. Yeah. Now I'm all self-conscious. <laughs> but I just, in in a case where the company did not promise infinite support for all of time, what would be a reasonable, what is a reasonable expectancy for an internet company? Like, if if Twitter had failed miserably at year number three, would it be equally reasonable to say, and that's a bad example because it's free, uh, <laughs> Squarespace. You you pay for Squarespace, it's eight bucks a month. If it failed on, on year three, would it be reasonable to say like, well, no, I wanted to pay you next month and continue using the service? No. Um but in that case, your monthly payment is clearly you're buying one month and you get that month and that's the end of that. Um, they don't have a pay us $300 and get Squarespace <laughs> for the rest of your life for, for exactly this reason. But I, I think that's kind of the point of these articles we have here is that it's not like, oh, we need to start demanding infinite never-ending service on everything we ever do. It's, oh, we're in this sad world where when a company goes down, the thing you had from them... be Like, if I buy a shovel and the shovel company goes out of the business, I can still dig. And it's just kind of a frustrating world where that's not the case for tech gadgets, where they really... I mean, if Apple somehow miraculously went out of business tomorrow, the a lot of the stuff my iPhone relies on would stop working completely and I, it would degrade way more gracefully than this product but <laughs> um you know any of my iCloud sign in any of the syncing all the push notifications i mean man oh yeah so much would it, it would still be a broken platform oh yeah well and so this the here are the the two things uh i think the EFF kind of brought up and and made me think about a lot which is um the software side of this is difficult, not just because software is difficult, but because laws exist and are often stupid. And apparently it is actually under the DMCA because there's nothing that that law can't make worse. It is, <laughs> it is illegal to modify software to make it function beyond the company's like plan for it to function. So the the example that happened just last year, and I, I kind of remember hearing about this, but it, it's a little bit fuzzy, was uh, the Library of Congress said, hey, we're going to take all these games, like these old like DOS games and stuff, and we're going to like archive them with emulators so that people can still get to them for research purposes, for historical records. And apparently a bunch of game publishers came forward and went, no. <laughs> and the Library of Congress was sort of like, wait, Guys, what do you think we're going to do with this? Like, we're not some Russian website. <laughs> <laughs> the, the EFF actually went to the government and and filed an uh, an exemption, like a request for an exemption on this law. And I'm pretty sure that was what happened right before 
You remember all of a sudden they were like 30,000 DOS games on the Internet Archive. <laughs> I think those two things must have happened in sequence. <laughs> yeah. Because we definitely, in 2015, got like a million old DOS games for free in emulators <laughs> on the Internet. Maybe this is what the companies feared. Because <laughs> well, they were making bank on those games <laughs> still, I'm sure. Right. And so what they had to make an exception on for these games is well, okay, for single-player play and you're not selling it, that's okay, whatever. Um, But they fought it, and with a thing like the Revolve Hub or your Nest thermostat, you kind of have to point it at some server to get server-like features. So where are the boundaries on that? What if I run a server in my own house? Can I point to that? What if I run a server and you want to point your nest to it? Are you allowed to do that? Yeah. Right Right now, the law says no. So a third-party company can't do it. I can't do it as a private individual. So once these things lose their internet features, it's not that it's an insurmountable technology problem. It's that you legally can't fix it. And yeah. the EFF hates not being able to fix stuff. Yeah, good guy EFF always taking these cases and trying to push them through. Um, yeah, I mean, the, their title is Ownership Isn't What It Used To Be. And just like with music moving the streaming services, which is a deal that is transparent and upfront and I'm comfortable with now of like, oh, yeah, I don't own any of this. Because before, it was actually misleading. Um, you own the plastic. You did not own the music before either. That's true. Um, and if you're playing it at too big of a birthday party, it might be a performance <laughs> and you may owe royalties. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm sure the movie companies will eventually have technology to detect how many eyes are watching the movie in the room and say you didn't rent at the license level to show it to this many people. So... <laughs> Um, we have all sorts of horrible futures for this service model, but the content owners have always been doing that. But the scary thing is regular products, as they become smart products, could be heading this way and apparently already are. Um, rental models don't have to be abusive. They can be awesome for things like I'm not <laughs> going to buy. I probably wouldn't even buy $10 of music a month. Like even in the heyday, maybe that happened occasionally when a bunch of my favorite artists released at once. But I didn't buy that much music. I know some people did. But now I'm like, eh, I'll pay 10 bucks a month and listen to anything at any time and get playlists <laughs> from other people. And like, it's like I'm getting value out of that. And so rental models can be cool. And I could even see it for almost any avenue or corner of my life that there's going to be software that will be rented. But it needs to be a good deal. It needs to be transparent and like have these fail safes. I don't know. Well, I'm I'm suddenly remembering, and this did not strike me until you just used the phrase rental model. Um, when phones first became a thing, you didn't own your phone. No. The phone company gave you a phone to use as long as you had their phone And service. I wonder how much they still make from old people who don't know that they don't have to rent their phone and that they could go to Walmart and get a $5 phone for their wall. Oh my god, do you think you could actually still get a phone from like AT&T? I know that I saw an article about how they were ripping off some grandmas that didn't understand that they didn't have to pay 8 bucks a month for the thing on their wall. Oh my god. 
<laughs> they're full of these business models of just stay quiet and don't let them know that the world changed 50 years ago. <laughs> that breaks my heart. That's awful. Uh, but I mean, could you, uh, could you imagine and the internet of things going through maybe a similar, uh, business model? I think like I don't own my thermostat. Well, I, I rent a thermostat from the thermostat company. Definitely in the like I could see hotels and like, you know, enterprise approaches to this like you just rent office space. You don't want to own the internet of things for that office building, so you're going to rent that. Um but as far as like regular regular people, probably there too. I don't know. I mean, if if I got a certain amount of um convenience and assurance out of it right because with uh like a, a a home phone at the time when that business model was prevalent eh, you didn't really care like what your phone was like i mean how many models of phone were no. there? probably not <laughs> probably not a lot right no touch tone no yeah. wireless none of that so you know maybe uh at&t only had like gray and beige and, you know, some other company had, you know, pink and you really wanted a pink phone. And it's like, oh, no, I can't switch. <laughs> but, you know, for that, it's like whatever. Um, but for uh, if I'm licensing the hardware that runs a smart service, then not only does it set a clearer expectation of how that hardware will function in the absence of the service because it's not my hardware, but it also incentivizes uh, some interesting kinds of competition, right? Because now if something goes wrong with it now i i expect like a guy to come show up and fix it right just yeah. like if i rent uh, any other physical piece of hardware like if i rent a car something goes wrong with it i call the rental car company i don't take it to my mechanic yeah or with your internet you expect between 8 a.m and 8 p.m <laughs> on one of three days someone <laughs> might show up to kind of like come into your house and see if you plugged it in right <laughs> and then go no it's not me go outside fiddle in your box and play the <laughs> god comcast you suck um <laughs> but I, I i don't think i would like that business model but i can imagine some companies pushing that uh you know i, I scratch that I, I know of at least one solar city solar city uh sells solar panels but what they really do is and they're very clear about this. It's not like it's a secret. They install the panels. They maintain them. If anything ever goes wrong with them, they fix them. But you don't own them. What happens is you buy solar power from Solar City, and they use your house to generate solar power. Yeah. So it's, it's symbiosis. A, yes. It's a very clear understanding. Um, but they're very clear also like, yeah – for us, for this to be worth it for us, they have to be installed for a long time. So you have to have this like 20 year contract, right? But most people tend to live in their house for an extended period. So that's workable and they've been a successful company. Uh, I think it's uh, Elon Musk's brother that runs Solar City. <laughs> he has a brother? <laughs> yeah, he's big family. Um, yeah, it's, you know, so the, there are, and that's not exactly a smart device, but I mean, it's a big hardware, modern piece of technology that you basically just lease from the company um it would be weird definitely to do that with my sprinkler timer and my thermostat or my refrigerator but yeah i mean why not well and i think for sometimes new newer business models that's a way to get 
people's feet in the door when they don't want to buy infrastructure up front on an idea they're not sure about, but they'll try it for a month, and that's a good way to do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, a Nest thermostat is, what, like two bills? It's like $200? Yeah. So I, even if they have an incredibly generous return policy, you still can't even take it through multiple seasons. It's not like you can say, oh, it works great in the summer, but it sucks in the winter, so I want to return it. Like, you can say, well, it worked great this week, so I guess I'm going to trust it forever <laughs> now. You know, and I mean, not to pick on Nest too much, but you... We're in a very the very early days of the Internet of Things where the kind of people who can afford those things, their complaints cannot include, and I'm out all this money because obviously <laughs> they have the disposable income. I mean, there, there's a there's the medium piece we link to. We, uh, there's a quote in here from him. Uh, he, he says something, right? I don't have the specific quote in front of me, but he basically says like, Obviously, if I can afford to buy all this crap, it means I'm not going hungry. So it's like you can't talk about the quality of service for these kinds of champagne problems if and and also act like, but people are starving in China. It's like, yeah, but obviously I just don't want to change the temperature on my thermostat. So we have to have this conversation in the the scope of that priority set. Um but even in that world, even in the world of I'm, you know, a hip modern person with disposable income and I'm very privileged and fortunate and I can't be bothered to stand up and make the room cooler. I want to do it for my iPhone. It'd still be nice if that thing continued to work when the Internet was down. Yeah. I mean, there are ways to do point to point Wi-Fi. There's Bluetooth. There are lots of things these devices could still do without you know, Google's massive infrastructure behind it out in the cloud. And that just makes sense because you don't want people to die in hospitals when the power outage. That's why they have their own <coughs> generators. But the, everything about their infrastructure would need to be resistant to that. And while we don't have usually people on like respirators at their home, um, you still don't want to freeze in the winter or have all your food go bad just because the internet goes down. Well, and I think that happened with Nest that they're the, like either the 2014, 2015 winter, I think. So what, two seasons ago, um, like the service freaked out and like reset everybody's temperature. So if you lived in a cold climate, you woke up in the middle of the night and it was freezing cold in your house, which is like, again, yeah. Okay. Software technology is hard. Like these kinds of things are going to happen, but you can't have somebody's respirator freak out. You yeah. can't have somebody's uh, EKG machine be like, no, nah, it's fine, when actually they're dying. Like, <laughs> the bar certain, is higher. And yeah, the, the bar is way higher. It may not be hospital high, but it's higher than, oh, uh, my Twitter feed didn't load. Oh, well. Like, <laughs> right. But I definitely think even in a world where you're leasing these devices, if there's any chance you could own it or that you could go a prolonged period of time without access to their back-end service – they have to function in some capacity disconnected from the network. Like they just, they gotta, cause I can't imagine a world where we're, we'll ever have a flawless network. I mean, God, some people still can't get water sometimes. <laughs> like you go to turn on the tap and, and water doesn't come out in certain parts of America, which has a fairly modern infrastructure. 
So does this turn you off at all from buying smart gadgets? I mean, you're in an apartment, so there's a limit to how much you want to plug into somebody else's building. But uh, does this kind of thing make you second guess or reconsider buying a gadget like this? Um, no, because I'm, I'm still kind of an early adopter kind of guy. So I'll probably be willing to try this stuff anyway because I'll be excited about some piece of it. Um, but it... I don't know it could turn me off to specific companies, but I mean, I don't think Nest shutting down Revolve was scandalous. It was just poorly executed, and like, even though they're not legally obligated, they should have figured out some way to smooth that over and not wait for the outrage to be like, oh crap. <laughs> and I expect they will double back and do something, but you can never you can put an ice pack on a black eye, but you can't <laughs> get unpunched. They could do some kind of like turn in your revolve. What you know is that what the actual device was called? Yeah, Um, the revolve smart hub. So they could do like, hey, we'll recycle your revolve and give you a hundred dollars off the new Nest version of that, and like that would seem like a good way to go, or you know something like that. Yeah, and and to prevent this from turning into a three hour show and from getting too off into the 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 tabloids. there's some concern that Nest might shut down because apparently they're not doing great. <laughs> uh, then why shut down Revolve? Why not just burn the whole ship down at once? <laughs> well, they technically they shut down Revolve when they bought them, oh, and they've true. just they've just waited until now to actually turn the service off. But that they yeah. lit that fuse, that Mission Impossible <laughs> fuse, a long time ago. <laughs> That's right. And I mean, I so I I didn't even think about it because they they've just become such an integrated part of the house, but. I have drop cam cameras, so <laughs> if Nest goes away, do they become useless? Because you can't connect to them directly. You have to connect to them through the client. So, uh, yeah, th- I mean, this, like, it wouldn't end my game if those suddenly became unusable, but they were expensive. I'd be a little disappointed. Well, in a good guy company, I know they wouldn't want to spend business cycles on this, would be to... We've open sourced the platform and, you know, here's a software update that get, makes it a, a hobbyware thing, you know, here, make use of it. But Well, and if your uh, Dropcam, which is now Nestcam, <laughs> um, but if, if you're, <laughs> you know, them, you're incentivized to not let people use those cameras to record to their local storage because then why the hell would anybody pay for the cloud service? Yeah. So then if you end up deciding to shut down, you have to go back and retroactively build in that capability because you intentionally left it out in the first place. But now your company's folding, so why would you put developer cycles into it? So there's like a a crazy um almost you need companies almost need to have like a backup parachute that the public doesn't know about where it's like drop cams could always secretly record to local storage. We just didn't let anyone. And now that the company's folding, we're going to just turn that on for everybody. Yeah. Right. Um, because if they're going bankrupt, you don't really care about the future public perception. <laughs> oh no, not at all. But it's, if you, in, in a world where companies may actually be run by decent human beings, I know. It, it would be lovely to imagine that. Right. It'd be lovely to think that they might actually think that way. Like from the beginning, hey, this company might not be around forever. How can we make sure we don't leave a bad taste in everyone's mouth? Even though we will not benefit in any way from doing them this solid, let's just be decent human beings. Um, And I just realized I described some unicorn rainbow fantasy world that doesn't exist. 
Well, it is frustrating when it's based on these, uh, b- what I'm going to call now business model by omission. Like, you weren't <laughs> just better or more convenient, or maybe you were a little more convenient. Like, yeah, the cloud service is convenient. I don't have to think about it. I just pay them, and then it happens. Um, but you you have kind of a, a false scarcity in place to reinforce that business model, and it's like it bites you when they fold because you're like, ah, got nothing. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, in the Dropcam case specifically, you could very easily make the case like, hey, if you store stuff to your local storage, that means you got to have hard drives and you got to manage it. You got to yeah, turn it on. Yeah, that's annoying. Right. And then that's the pitch for the cloud service. And I'm sure other smart devices like the smart sprinklers, it's like, hey, you don't want to set a timer. You want it to just know what's happening with the weather, right? Like, yeah. you, there are ways you could upsell people, right? Just like I said, with the those connected, the, those glue layer services. You know, you, you give them a free taste, but then you make it really enticing to upgrade yeah. to the premium. Why well, even just thinking of like Backblaze? It's like, yeah, even though it's not Backblaze branded, you can buy your own hard drives and run it all locally and, you know, drive those hard drives to a remote location. <laughs> and like you could do that and that's your fail safe. Um, but they just get to be the cloud service. But the difference is I don't have to buy a $300 paperweight from Backblaze. Well, this so. is something CrashPlan does. Do you know about this? Uh-uh. So with CrashPlan, they're, you know, they're a cloud backup service, just like Backblaze or Mosey used to be or any of these other services. But they have something that I, I've not seen on other services, which may exist, but I've, I've only ever seen it on CrashPlan. Um, they have a free tier for cloud backup. And the way they do it is you have a friend who has CrashPlan and I have crash plan and we agree to back up stuff to each other's storage. So if huh. your ho- if your laptop gets stolen or your house burns down, you know I have a copy of your data and it's all encrypted and I can't get to it but I I can see that it's stored on my drive, right? So you just both agree to have hard drives and you just take the remote pain out of it. Yeah. And and it's com- you can download the crash plan software and do that completely for free. Huh. That's cool because only tech-minded like people that are going to be willing to put effort into it are going to do that. So exactly, you still have a huge most of the world to sell your cloud thing to. Yeah, and I mean, CrashPlan seems to be doing all right. So I'm I'm sure a lot of people probably even do both because you can set multiple destinations. So I can say I'm going to back up everything to the cloud. Well, like for you, this is a perfect use case. You want to back up everything to the cloud, but if you if your your laptop gets destroyed and you want to get back your 600 terabytes of logic profiles from all the music you've ever made, do you really want to download that over a Comcast connection? No, you do not. <laughs> you want to drive to my house and just have me hand you a hard drive and call it a day. Yeah. You know, so I mean there there's even reasons where you would want the And it wouldn't need to be thing. your friend. You could just have your office in your home and set the software to talk to it. Yeah. And I mean, when I, uh, for the, the brief time that I was doing it, that's what I did. I just had a hard drive in my office at work that I just left on all the time. And it was connected to my desktop PC that I had and I just piped data into it and it was fine. Yeah. I mean, you could do the same thing with rsync, but it's like, this is, it's doing this with crash plan is still very techy, but it's more user friendly techy. Yeah. Anyway, any other thoughts on this? We're, we're far afield. Let's, let's kill this. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find the show notes for this episode, as always, at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 114 for episode 114. Mike and I both love feedback. 
We uh, think most accessible on Twitter. You can find me at Lines in Beta, and Mike, you are at Pseudo Michael S U D O Michael. And we do love feedback, but we want to make sure you actually get the shows so you can give us that feedback. And the easiest way to do that is to subscribe. Um, I kind of mentioned, sort of uh, buried the lead, that we just recently added an all shows feed. Um, so if you want to subscribe to Flipping Tables, you can do that in your podcatcher of choice. We have subscribe buttons on the website uh, and we, you know iTunes, all those things. Um, but if you want to subscribe to all the Sunrise Robot shows, you can actually do that now with one feed. It'll just you'll get the most uh, recent episode from every show automatically. Very cool, very simple. Um, if you want to do something to support us a little bit. You can go into the dreaded iTunes and actually leave us a rating and a review because that helps uh, drive it up into new and noteworthy, makes it easier for other people to find, um, just kind of helps get the word out there. You can always just tell your friends too. That's that's pretty cool. Um, but if you want to support us a little bit more directly, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And depending on the level you support us at, you can get your name shouted out at the end of this show or all sunrise robot shows. So with that, I want to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Automated Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, and Justin Edwards. We love you all so much. Could not do this without you. Totally. See you next week. Totally.